0: My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. It was 5 a.m. on July 7th. I was sleeping in a bed at my parents' house, and the phone rang. It was my friend, Emilio, the clinic administrator of Les Bois-Timon. My heart dropped. I assumed that someone at the clinic had been kidnapped or shot. Otherwise, Emilio would not have been calling me this early in the morning. Hannah, to my side, assumed the same. He asked me if I had looked at our text thread. To keep track of violence in Port-au-Prince, he and I are on a group message with 250 other people throughout the city who report out what's happening each day in their area. It's the only way to keep up with what's going on. I glanced at it. There was a warning message. It read that a coup d'etat was in process and the president's house had been attacked. It said to stay home and not take to the streets. Emilio's voice was trembling. Neither of us knew what to say. Later in the morning, American news sources picked up the story and confirmed that the president had been assassinated in his home. Many of us in the States know the basics of the story, but let's discuss it briefly. At least 20 Colombians and two Haitian Americans had been in Haiti for more than a month planning the attack. The president of Haiti, unlike other nations, simply lives in his own house. The national palace was destroyed in the 2010 earthquake and has not been rebuilt. So, his residence is just in a neighborhood of Port-au-Prince. The assassins crept up the one street that led to his home. They laid siege to the house. One of the Haitian Americans yelled out to a gathering crowd that this was a DEA operation, ordering everyone to stand down. They broke into President Muiz's room and shot him 12 times, killing him on the spot. And then, unlike we might have expected from watching many spy films, the mercenaries appeared to have not left the country. The next evening, they were discovered holed up in a house near the site of the murder. By the next day, a mob of angry Haitians were going door-to-door in the rich areas of Port-au-Prince, dragging out anyone who might be a mercenary. The mob discovered several, tying them up with ropes and leading them to the nearest police station. By late the day after the assassination, nearly 20 prisoners were being held at the police station in Peschenville, the wealthy area of Port-au-Prince. A mob of thousands of Haitians descended on the site, demanding that the men be released so they could kill them themselves. The police resisted, and slowly more information started to trickle out. Now in the month leading up to the assassination, everyone in Port-au-Prince knew that something was coming. The security situation had slowly worsened over the last several years, but suddenly in early June, even the semblance of order broke down. While gangs always had control of every section of the city, they now started to kick out the police from their zones. Even amid several years of trouble, this felt different. Hannah and I left for a two-week visit to the states. And yet, even if you knew the events from the month prior, the news of the assassination was a jolt to many. It has been nearly a decade since a head of state has been murdered in any country in the world. Compare that to the decade of the 1970s, the heyday of political assassinations, when a full 21 different leaders across the globe were killed. This just isn't supposed to happen today. Haitians were stunned. An American might think, Haiti's always in chaos. This cannot be that shocking. And yet, the assassination of their president is not normal. This is not how it's supposed to go. By my count, Haiti has had an incredible 27, that's right, 27, coup d'etats and revolutions in its history. And yet, how many presidents have been murdered in office? As of today, there have been three definitive times. This is just not how you do it. Traditionally, if you want to overthrow the Haitian government, you go in, take the president, escort him to a plane, and he flies off to Jamaica or France in exile. The last head of state to be murdered was more than a hundred years ago. And before that you have to go all the way back to eighteen oh six. This violates one of Haiti's unwritten rules. When I first arrived in Haiti, Haitians would tell you there were limits. Yes, there were kidnappings and murders, but the population would never touch a foreigner or a doctor or a priest. This was told to me as gospel truth. And yet, as 2020 progressed and the institution of the state broke down, these truths were slowly eroded away. The first doctor that was kidnapped in 2020 was national news. The president held a press conference and nearly every clinic and hospital closed their doors in solidarity until the physician was released. The next doctor to be kidnapped, a similar outpouring closed clinics, but slightly less than before. Now, however, when doctor kidnappings are reported, the media shrugs and the people mourn, but that's all they can do. Similarly, in 2020 alone, 24 American citizens were kidnapped. Perhaps some of these were accidental. The perpetrators might not have known about their citizenship status, but many were brazen. And these started to affect Europeans, the French, and Italians. A French nun and priest were kidnapped just a few months ago. Before we go on, I want to be very clear that I don't think anyone should be kidnapped, and it's absurd to have rules around who can and cannot be taken. A foreigner's life should not be more protected than a Haitian's. But even so, these limits are written into the fabric of Haitian society. As these rules broke down, the country's violent forces slouched their way to a point that a presidential assassination was considered. What is even more unique is that this was not really a coup d'etat. Traditionally, if you have a coup d'etat, the general goes in, takes out the president, and declares himself the leader. But this was a murder and then nothing. Let's review the complicated situation of who is in charge of Haiti right now. The leader of the Supreme Court died of COVID just a few days before the assassination. As an aside, and on that subject, you may know that Haiti is one of only four countries in the world that is not given a single dose of the COVID vaccine. In addition to a president, Haiti also has a prime minister. If the president dies, the prime minister can rule for 60 days until the legislature elects a new president. Now the problem here is that the current prime minister had just been asked to resign before the president was killed. A new prime minister was announced by the president, but he had not been sworn in. So we have two prime ministers vying for power. To make matters worse, elections were never held last year like they were supposed to. So there are only 10 senators and no members of the chamber of deputies left to do anything. This means the legislature is nowhere close to the quorum needed to vote in a new president. So it's unclear who is the prime minister and there's no legislature to pick a provisional president. Further, Haiti has no army. If you remember, it was disbanded with the express intent to prevent coup d'etats. But, at least when you had an army, you knew exactly who was in control. Unfortunately, right now, it's chaotic. And so we think, we know the solution, elections. These are supposed to happen in September. But people on the ground doubt that there's any possibility for free and fair elections under the current circumstances. Now, you may be able to get international observers to supervise a counting of the ballots. And maybe this will be accurate. Maybe. But that's not the major problem. The problem is that no one will vote. They are scared. The gangs are too powerful. Politicians are allied with gangs and will use them to prevent anyone who disagrees with them from voting. They will burn down the polling sites in areas. How can an election occur in areas where there is no police presence? I have yet to meet a Haitian who has said that they would feel comfortable going to vote. And so, what will happen? No one knows. Immediately after the murder, all my friends in Haiti hunkered down in their homes. Over the weekend, they went out and tried to get extra food. On Tuesday, the clinic reopened and a slight trickle of patients braved the streets. Hannah and I are holding in the United States to see how this will play out. No one knows if there will be chaos or a civil war. But either way, no matter what the next weeks hold, the gangs still rule the streets. A widening vacuum at the head of the government can only worsen this. One would imagine that gang leaders will take this opportunity to take more and more territory under their direct control. As you talk with Haitians, though, they will tell you that God will protect them. And when they say that, they really mean it because there's nowhere else to turn. Their government has failed them. The international community is confused and hesitant about how to proceed. There is nowhere else to trust. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from Life Here. We are simply telling stories as we've seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti, or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.